And so I learned, while doing the preliminary research on this book, that the marriage of William Howard Taft and Helen Heron Taft encompassed great contradictions. William was a judicious teetotaler. Helen was an impulsive beer drinker. William was guided by loyalty. Helen was guided by ambition. William was a complicated man, and no one understood him like Helen, who influenced him into turning against Teddy Roosevelt, a man whom he considered a brother and for whom he'd risked his life. In short, the gender dynamics of this first couple's relationship make them a fascinating subject for a collaboration. Before you agree to co-author William and Helen Taft, an American marriage, do you have any questions? Yes. Can you change the title to Nellie Will and Willful Nellie, Gender Fluidity in the White House? Gender Fluidity? I'm talking about Taft! Damn right. There were elements of subjugation and role-playing in their marriage. Nellie, the Alpha, imposed her thwarted political ambitions on her husband, who abandoned his judicial aspirations in keeping with his position as Beta. Neither partner could achieve self-actualization due to the psychosocial constraints of their shared geospatial temporality. Otherwise known as 19th century America? So how did Will finally achieve his goal of becoming Chief Justice of the Supreme Court? Did he and Nellie start sharing girdles? Hardly. In fact, he was only able to find fulfillment after he accepted his identity as an adipose American. Adipose American? Oh, you mean this cat Taft was a fat mother. Shut your mouth. Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables presidential sketch comedy and history for people who can't afford Hamilton. Today, President 27, William Howard Taft. Thank you for enjoying DB Comedy Presents The Electables. If you would like to keep supporting us, please consider a donation or tip. Go to fracturedatlas.org, the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy Presents the Electables, and leave us a gift. Your donation is tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law and will be used to keep us on the air and in the algorithms. Thank you. Another night, another episode, or depending, another day, another episode, depending on when you're listening. Um, so we are, uh, we have a solo uh, historian tonight, Ms. Dr. Chelsea. Doctor. But not that kind of doctor. No, I can't save your life. No. Yeah, you have to listen way back to one of the earlier episodes to understand that reference. And then uh, I forgot our... I told that story. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. As... Well, I would I would say, given some of our, uh, our our citizenry, a little history could save their lives. Mm. We tried. Mm. Accurate. True. This mm. is accurate. Mm. Um, and so... Dr. Chelsea Denote, you never really did finish saying the rest of her name. For those of you who are joining at William Howard Taft, like, I'm sorry. I disagree with you. I find 
I find Will and Nelly quite fascinating, actually. One could say honest. he looms large over history. Oh, oh dear. Ooh. All right, let's finish the rest and of us. And one just did. Let's finish the rest <laughs> of us for introduce, introducing time. Joe here. Paul here. Sylvia here. Sandy there. Patrick where? William Howard Taft after the epic of uh, Theodore Roosevelt and I don't know what kind of movie we would describe Woodrow Wilson, but in between we oh. have William Howard Taft, a guy, a president. He was a man, a man, well, me, I think a large man. It off. A white man, <laughs> a lot of white men, but I'm going to start it off. Speaking of being a white man and a white president and a pol- Republican politician at the very dawn of America's imperialist era, he might've had, more executive experience than probably he definitely had more than his predecessor, the good, you know, the good Teddy. Uh, he was a very experienced, very good public servant because he was the governor general of the Philippines, where he was so enormously popular that all the Philipp- that were all the Filipinos who were not actively rebelling against American occupation, actually demanded that he stay in the country and not accept a Supreme Court post. And then he was a Secretary of War. He was a very qualified public servant and would have made a great president, except for one thing. He didn't want the job. But uh, yes, he was raised to be a public servant. His dad, Alfonso Taft, was a... loyal Republican who he himself aspired to aspired to be Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, but as a loyal Republican, as his son would be, he just took whatever job was given him. Like, I believe he was ambassador to Russia for a while. Or minister, <laughs> as it were. So yes, he was a member of a prominent Ohio family, just, Ohio! Like, you are, just like you are, Sandy, oh. and just like you are, Joe. Oh. Who's whose brother married into an even wealthier Ohio family. So it was kind of like born Ohio aristocracy. Is that possible? <laughs> in those like an days, oxymoron. In those days, yes. <laughs> oh, I never want to hear the phrase Ohio aristocracy ever again, please. Well, at least he's a Cincinnati Ohioan and not a Northern Ohioan. So we got that part of this, that part of the state covered in Again, this Trump of meh presidents, which are the Ohio presidents. And, and for those of us just joining us on the William Howard Taft episode, Joe is from Ohio. Yep. <laughs> yep. And Sandy is from Ohio. <laughs> and they're both proud Northern Ohio's. Northern Ohio. Right. The thing, okay, he also married a member, a lesser member of the, cover your ears, Chelsea, Ohio aristocracy. <laughs> Helen Heron. Went to visit dad's good Helen. Went to visit her dad's good friend, Uncle Ruddy Rutherford B. Hayes in the White House when she was like 17 years old. And she's figured, I need to marry someone who's going to get me back here. And And Rutherford said, Well, if you do, make sure you marry a Republican. What's so sad about that is, right, she has a stroke not long after Taft's inauguration. So, like, she spends her first year in the White House, like, can't even enjoy it. Like, I can't even speak. Nellie? 
Yeah, she did. She had a stroke oh. in, I believe, May of 1909. Yeah. And that, not, not coincidentally at all, is when Taft's political fortunes started to plummet. She was a much more shrewd politician than him. And from what I understand, he also gained a substantial amount of weight. Yes, gained more weight because he was so stressed out because he actually was responsible for teaching her how to speak again. Well, as I was looking over his his biography, one of the things that's interesting is this is someone who I think was raised to be a public servant, someone who seemed to have some skills as a public servant, but apparently the only real way you could become a public servant is to enter the political world at some point. Is that fair? Yeah, I would say, unless you wanted to be a, a postmaster, which I guess there's still some political angling to it because it's an appointed position usually reserved for people who helped the administration and helped someone get elected. That's and... more patronage than uh, yeah. public servant. It's so funny because we always, we have been talking often about how, right, presidents are always supposed to take on this like false sense of Washingtonian humility. Like, oh no, I do not want the presidency. Like I am very humble. And Taft was literally like, I, I don't want that. <laughs> like it was, <laughs> it was actually real, but he was probably like, you're saying one of the better qualified uh, people to hold the office um, you know, he always envisioned his goal was always to be on the Supreme Court, which he finally did get after many oh. trials and tribulations. Yes, did not. <laughs> I bet I bet looking back at his life, he probably regretted taking the not taking the Supreme Court seat that Roosevelt offered him when he was still in the Philippines. <laughs> so so a biopic about Taft would be the story of how he overcame the trials, tribulations, and failures of becoming president <laughs> to finally achieve his dream to be the Supreme Court Justice. Em emerging <laughs> emerging from a morass of familial connections to other presidents, a wife who really wanted him to be president, and, sort, and a diplomatic and professional history that people who would want to be president might kill for. Yeah, that's the bad news bears of our generation. <laughs> Right this way, Lady Libertine. Ready for a little domination, Secretary of War Taft? I've thought of nothing else all day. Uh, d did you bring my costume? Oh, yards and yards of the softest fabric. Oh, it feels wonderful. Full length. It, it really flatters my figure. Uh, did you bring my special tool? Made from only the hardest wood. I can't wait, Lady Libertine. Put the restraints on me. <clears throat> Judicial review. Yes. Yes. Standing precedent. Oh, dear God. 
textualism. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Yoo-hoo, Will, I'm back from what the devil? Whoa, Nelly. Is that the safe word, or are you just greeting your wife? That's hardly an important distinction. Uh, dear, yours? Supposed-, supposed to be at a Washington Beautification Committee meeting, yes, mm-hmm. but... Daniel Burnham laughed at my charity suggestion, so I slapped him and left. And what do I find in my own house? My husband in a judge's robe and gavel, consorting with some common strumpet, tarted up like the Bill of Rights. Common? Mrs. Taft, I charge five dollars an hour. Don't worry, dear. I'm expensing it as entertainment. Will, can't you indulge in more normal perversions? You're going to be president soon, after all. Oh, Nell, I can't help being the man I am. You know that the only thing that stirs my passion is constitutional law. (laughs) I've known that since our wedding night, when you made me call you Chief Justice tapped and gasped, case dismissed, at the moment of climax. <laughs> you really shouldn't have ignored the warning signs. Well, pardon me, if I won't listen to lectures from a woman with the words assets to be seized painted on her breasts. <laughs> Will, darling, you need to abandon the silly fantasy about joining the Supreme Court. You'll never get the chance. If Mr. Roosevelt and I agree on one thing, it's that I should be First Lady of the United States. And they call me bossy. But, Nellie, what if I lose the election? Oh, please. The Democrats are going to nominate William Jennings Bryan again. Oh, curses. I know you have your dreams and ambitions, but Will, dearest, so do I. I've longed to be First Lady ever since I was 16 and visited Uncle Rutty and Aunt Lucy Hayes here in Washington. I've made sacrifices for you, dearest. I abandoned my musical career. I moved to the Philippines. I put up with Alice Roosevelt's insults. Can't you make one sacrifice for me? All right, Nellie. Abandoning my heart's fondest desire in order to please my wife is the least I can do. Such a good boy. Who wants an ice cream sundae? (gasps) I do, Mommy, I do. (sighs) There sure are some real weirdos in this town. Looking at his formative years, I guess, before he became president and and Supreme Court Justice and Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, the whole episode of the Philippines, you know, you talk about him not being a politician. Now, he's going to the Philippines because it's just been conquered and he's working for a president who is not that does not have a problem with the whole conquering thing. You mean William McKinley? Because that's who appointed him. Yeah. And yet... By all accounts, he was quite good at sort of running, administratively running the Philippines, at least. I mean, is that, am I? No, not at all, because there was, he was starting from scratch. He was, I think he would have enjoyed being a founding father because he would have enjoyed writing a constitution (laughs) that, in essence, is what he had to do when he got to the Philippines. He was taking up 
if everyone was taking up the white man's burden back in that day, but uh, Taft had fewer, he had more race, he was more patron, uh, patronizing racist than a hostile racist. So he thought it was his job to educate and create laws for these, you know, our little brown brothers, as he so charmingly put it. So as imperialists go, Taft was a pretty benign one in this, and the Philippines having endured several very vicious colonial masters before the, before America conquered it, uh, <laughs> Taft was kind of like a godsend. To some of them, there was obviously a resistance movement. And, and from that, that, that's where he caught Teddy's eye, apparently. And well, they had met before that, though. Yes, they had. <clears throat> I forgot. Oh, when Roosevelt was public service commissioner and Taft, what was Taft doing though? Hamilton County was he the prosecutor? I know he was he a was... He was uh, he was on the federal bench for oh, a few years in the eighteen nineties. Right. Hence, being on the short list for the Supreme Court, even before he ran for president. Here's something that is kind of curious to me. We know what a Secretary of State theoretically is supposed to do. And Taft became the Secretary of War, which was an actual thing, even though at that moment, as far as I know, there wasn't an actual war going on. And if I recall correctly, the Secretary of War ultimately became the, what we now call the Secretary of Defense. That is but, but reading about what Taft was doing as Secretary of the War for Roosevelt, boy, it sure sounded like he was kind of the Secretary of State and maybe even Chief of Staff. Like he was doing a lot. He was doing a lot for Teddy. He was running Cuba for all intents and purposes, the country we did not acquire. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> podcast audience, you can't see me doing the finger flexions. So I'll just say quote unquote, even though I hate the phrase quote unquote. Well, um, you know, Roosevelt was a guy who didn't have a lot of patience for things that weren't. Uh, wrestling or killing animals, and so I imagine having a having a steady guy who just has no backbone and will do whatever you tell him to do would be really handy as presidents. But was that true when he was working for Teddy? Yes, it was. He was a very loyal soldier. What would you say, Chelsea? Yeah, he. I don't want to say that he was a yes man, but he was a. I think that's a good idea, Mr. President. <laughs> Um, right away, Mr. President. (laughs) Right. Now we talked in the in the TR episode about his trying to do the Washington thing of not running for for what would have been a third term, but second second complete term, if I think I've got that right. Um, So he sort of, so he groomed, he groomed Taft, although, and reading about the 1908 convention, they were, people still weren't completely convinced that Roosevelt wasn't going to come in and swipe the nomination. Oh, yeah. People were constantly asking him as if his mind was going to change, you know, from one day to the next, which, right, that's very on brand for Teddy, right, to to make kind of these, um, I don't want to say last minute decisions, but to make these spur of the moment decisions that somehow seem to benefit him. I mean, um, considering he would go on to found a party 
with the express purpose of running against Taft, it's probably not <laughs> the most out there idea. Shocking. <laughs> um, but, at, but at the time, Taft looked like Roosevelt's puppet. So, oh, yeah, right. Like, I still chuckle every time that I read that people were joking that Taft stood for, oh, gosh, what was it? Um, Eddie's. Take also, advice from Theodore. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And, you know, and he, you know, Teddy had managed to gin up a little bit of enthusiasm for Taft. The Texas Republican delegates, um, who obviously would have absolutely no influence when they got back to their state. Still, they flew a flag for Taft that just consisted of a pair of really oversized pants. <laughs> That's oh, more of a pipe than a flag. Oh, fat <laughs> jokes. Uh well, and in that case, let's see, in probably any other election, Taft may have had a hard time, only he got what could have been considered the perfect opponent, Paul? William Jennings, Brian, 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 Brian. And he kind of, not that he was, not, I don't think he had quite that much of a, would have had quite that big a problem with Brian, but uh even Brian admitted that Taft stole a lot of his ideas. Mm-hmm. And and oh, by the way, there was a third candidate, another another uh, rambunctious favorite of a lot of us, uh, Eugene Debs. Yes. Didn't win any states, but he got got some votes. One more hearts oh. than states. Oh yeah. <laughs> he was a people pleaser in general, I would say. He pleased Roosevelt. He turned down a Supreme Court, a Supreme Court appointment. The you know the dream of his life to please not just Nellie but all of the Philippines who weren't actively trying to throw out the American invaders. And he something really weird very early in his presidency. The defining issue in as much as it it's an issue of his early presidency was the tariff and so he called congress into a special session to address the tariff question and then instead of you know pissing people off by saying i want this 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 and this he just said in a very brief moment in a very brief message at the beginning of the special session okay you guys figure it out <laughs> Not a le- not a natural leader. He didn't want to be president. Right. Mm-hmm. Let him do this. Didn't he basically say they brought this whole meeting in to get people to discuss the tariff issues and, and expecting to hear what the president now was going to bring to the table? And he's like, well, I covered that in my inaugural address. So just go exactly. read that. <laughs> and it was a long now. inaugural address. Uh, yes, but luckily for him, it was inside. <laughs> One very important distinction between Teddy and Taft, and I would say, is that Teddy was a lousy lawyer, and <laughs> Taft was a great one. Yes. Oh, gosh. Right. I, I'll i never forget one of the, um, right, when you're in high school learning about the progressive era presidents, right? And everyone just wants to talk all about Teddy Roosevelt. But actually, most of the progressive era reforms that actually changed people's lives came about during the Taft administration because of Supreme Court cases. 
He got to appoint six Supreme Court justices, which he must not have enjoyed. <laughs> right? Can't can't I appoint myself? Is there a way to appoint? Can I appoint myself? Can I Someone resign? Appoint myself, that, please. Someone trying to talk, <laughs> someone talking to out of appointing himself to the Supreme Court. Was there Why a the disease that just took uh, six of the Supreme Court justices out, or? I was going to say, they yeah, were the turnover. I mean, there there yeah. wasn't a senator that was manipulating who would and wouldn't get hearings, because the um, because the Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Stephen Breyer, you know, got you know, God rest our BGD, drag me out, drag my corpse out of your ethos had not permeated the Supreme yeah. Court of the early twentieth century. Okay, it's like I'll I'll do this until I get I'm tired of it, and then I'll retire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take the Sandra Day O'Connor route, y'all. <laughs> uh, because I was uh, curious about this, just looked it up for our listeners. Uh, by this time, uh, we had gotten to the modern number of nine justices uh, in the Supreme Court. It was yeah, uh, it was briefly question. up to ten in 1863. Uh, but then Chief Justice Chase and President Andrew Johnson decided that they would just let the next three justices retire and not be replaced. Uh, and then it was at seven until 1869 when we finally got up, back up to nine. Hmm. So was this... Oh boy, you know. Spy, you know, we've portrayed him as spineless, but he he had one. It was just buried under several layers. Okay, next oh, photo. That's wow. <laughs> and he grew it at the wrong time, at the wrong place, by firing Roosevelt's... Okay. Okay, the Roosevelt schism has two potential sources based on my research. One, Alice's husband, Nicholas wanted to be ambassador to china and nelly said hell no nelly uh, not nelly hated the roosevelt's ah. uh, and she distrusted them and as it turned out with excellent reason and she especially disliked alice who uh, would dislike alice um nelly taft eleanor Next roosevelt <laughs> oh, eleanor Literally. Literally everyone. <laughs> Basically everyone who ever met her. <laughs> right? Except men. Hello. He had a couple of good female friends, like, you know, Oleg Cassini's mom, the Russian princess. But aside from that, yeah, uh, women tended to hate her. Uh, Nelly <laughs> she was just too badass for them. <laughs> uh, and she... she she didn't like wrote her cousin Eleanor too much either because Eleanor was a goody two-shoes and the greatest American of all time, but that's an entirely <laughs> different story. The other potential source of the schism with the Roosevelt, and it was far more public, was when he fired a Roosevelt appointee. The Roosevelt's more, one of Roosevelt's more zealous appointees was uh, trying to prevent... The trusts, uh, I believe, more maybe Morgan was behind this one from drilling in Alaska. They wanted to buy the land, and Pinchot, I believe, was his name, was uh, director of forestry, said, "No, you Gifford. can't." Gifford Pinchot, which is an amazing name. <laughs> Any relation to Bronson? Man. No, probably not. Okay, <laughs> I never know someone's race, and so 
Taft said, yes, constitutionally, they have the right to do that. We do not have, I mean, just because you love the environment doesn't mean that you have the extra legal capacity to, you know, prevent them from doing this. So, Pinchot, you're out, and everyone who defended you is out as well. And my secretary, Ballinger, he's staying. And so... And this goes back, though, like, I I really just wanted to emphasize, too, this goes back to Taft's uh, not feeling comfortable with stretching the powers of the presidency because he really felt that that these kinds of questions should be settled by legislation, right? He's like, this is not my job to make some executive order about conservation, like. Very strict fidelity, Mm -hmm. although he made the massively stupid decision to have his attorney general draft a memo that opposed Pincho's position and then backdate it to before the controversy started. Now, every attorney knows you don't do that. Jeez. I mean, not every attorney. I feel like some of Trump's attorneys would do that. Mm. Yeah, any, Any good attorney, I suppose. So this, um, yeah, so this very so this relatively minor, but clearly kind of crooked uh, move made him look like a party hack and a puppet of the trusts. And he said, "I just wanted to look like there was no controversy after I got this decision from Wickersham, which I got six weeks after it was, which I claimed to get six weeks before it was actually written in." I think that is what sunk his presidency and why he doesn't enjoy a particularly good reputation today as president. He looked like a Trumpy hack. Which again is a real shame only because, right, like I'm I'm not trying to argue that that incident is inconsequential. Mm-hmm. But his... And again, this is probably because it's the Supreme Court that does all of the actual good work of his presidency, right? (laughs) And he can't take credit for it. All right. So Taft goes into the White House. I don't know if they had to widen the doors. Oh, sorry. I know. That's very sad. (laughs) But um, he was he was he was in a pretty good, pretty good. I mean, not good shape, but good Taft shape. And when he entered the White House, and then yeah, he was a lean two hundred and thirty pounds. And then mm-hmm. the stresses of the presidency and nursing his sick wife, he and, started to. He is the and, most easily psychologically reduced president in history. I hate to say, but he started eating his stress. He was on a diet, a gluten-free diet, if you can believe that. He was a pioneer in that way too. Before he mm-hmm. went into the White House, and then once Nelly got sick, it was back to the twelve-ounce steaks. Yeah. Uh, and not even his newfound his he's also the first president that golfed. Yes. He bring golfing to America he, so he popularized it. it. Yeah. He apparently popularized it. More so than Eisenhower. Photos of Taft in his little golf outfits just delight me. <laughs> <laughs> they are hilarious. Another image you'll have to check the website for someday, listeners. <laughs> May I see the lady or the banner of the house? Indeed you may, because as you can see, I am in fact the head of the house. If I may introduce myself, sir or madam, I am Mr. Harper Edgefield, and if I may make an observation, it appears this is a comfortable abode you are living in. 
I should like to compliment you on your observational skills, for those of us who dwell in this humble abode are nonetheless quite happy with its accommodations. I'm delighted to hear this. However, if I may further reply, I am a salesman. Your fine verbal skills and clean appearance and satchel full of what appears to be samples of some sort do indicate your goal of trying to exchange your wares for a portion of our income. Then let me directly address your expectation, for I have a proposition that will make the beauty and utility of your home even more beautiful and useful. I would expect nothing less. I am a proud representative of the Busiris Subcompany of Busiris, Ohio, the official tub company of the Presidents of the United States of America. Tubs? As small as a dainty porcelain receptacle to warm your feet after a hard day's work, to the kind of expansive, luxurious, roomy, and decadently comfortable spa that the Busiris Tub Company of Busiris, Ohio, installed for our luxurious and roomy president, one William Howard Taft. President Taft? President Taft. Children, please do not play golf indoors. Thank you. May I show you a gallery of some of our fine bathroom bathing receptacles? Oh, I don't... The curve, sleek and supple. The legs, sturdy and strong. The color, the whitest that the craftsmen of the Busiris Tub Company of Busiris, Ohio can create. They are quite delightful. Guaranteed to keep hot water hot for hours at a time. With people inside them? Are you selling a bathing tub or a witch's cauldron? <laughs> we do not judge our customers on what they wish to use their tubs for. <laughs> it does seem to be lovely, Mr. Edgebrook, but I must confess your ability to sell a new tub here is somewhat hampered by the fact that we just purchased and installed a new tub from the Staley Tub and Bathroom Fixture Corporation of Staley, Illinois. I see. Well, I am indeed familiar with Staley Tubs as they are our primary competition. But, as I recall, all of their tubs are at what we in the industry refer to as standard sizes. Well, I expected nothing more. And I understand from the pleasant noises behind you that you have a healthy-sized family dwelling within these walls. Four wonderful children, with a couple of others thrown in, I think. Then I would like to modestly propose that we can happily exchange your fine but normal-sized tub with one of our extra-large William Howard Taft presidential tubs of the kind we specially made for our healthy and voluminous president, William Howard Taft. A special tub? Indeed, sir or madam of the house. When the word came that America's own White House was in need of a customized bathing device for one of our largest favorite sons. Please open the doors before you run through them. Thank you. As I was saying, when our government needed a larger tub for our husky president, the good folks at the Busiris Tub Company of Busiris, Ohio, responded with the kind of speed and craft and reliability we can bring to a tub in this fine home with a receptacle that will snugly fit a baby pachyderm, the extra-large William Howard Taft presidential tub. Baby pachyderm? Comfortably. Imagine the time and the water and the frustration of several children not being able to bathe that would be wiped away if all your children could clean themselves at the same time, as they would with an extra-large William Howard Taft presidential tub, courtesy of the Busiris Tub Company of Busiris, Ohio. Must be a big tub to name it after President Taft. If I may say, I do not comment on politics. But I can and do vouch strongly and proudly for the comfortable indoor space that our company can provide, for it does sound like you have a growing and vital family that would need the kind of constant bathing that tubs created by the Busiris Tub Company of Busiris, Ohio, can provide. Indeed. Squirrel! Where? Who threw another dead squirrel in my bath? Mom! When can you start? If I may say, sir or madam, you will not regret the purchase of our extra-large William Howard Taft presidential tub from the Busiris Tub Company of Busiris, Ohio. 
And if I may say, I am sure I will not. Perhaps a second one may be of use. <sighs> Don't press your luck. Now, was he always a big guy? Ooh, I no, I've never seen a picture of young yeah. William Howard. Yeah. He was big in a it's considered Ohio sense. <laughs> a Midwestern sense. Midwestern big. You know, big as far as like not not like obese, but like, you know, manly big, you know, mm. in a way that was kind of attractive and that it was burly and bearish, I guess. To put it in my barrel term. chested, right. in the sense right. that he was shaped so, like a barrel. So, uh, an aesthetic that was more uh, suited to a Wisconsin lumberjack. Right. Yes. Perhaps, uh, there okay. you go. Okay. There you Apparently, he was quite an athlete, though, to the point Ooh. where he probably could have gone to college uh, doing that, doing that, being a, being an athlete. But... Well, he was. I, I sorry, I'm just reading because I was looking for a picture of young Howard William Howard Taft, and he was the intramural heavyweight wrestling champ at there Yale. You go. There you go. <laughs> he was an Eli. Yeah, he was also um, in. Uh, He's also in Skull and Bones. Mm-hmm. But but the only non-Bush president to be Jesus. right because he went to Yale and he apparently promised his or he, his father told him that being an athlete would de- deter him from being a good being a good student so to make his dad happy he stopped being an athlete and was sort of I think number three or four in his class in Yale but that whole please dad thing apparently was quite a thing throughout his life as well okay so I'm listening to all of this and I'm going, so he didn't want to be president. He was a bad president. Everybody knew he didn't really want to be president. Why does he run for re-election? They're called, because he does whatever called anyone tells him to do. Eddie <laughs> and Nellie. He had a wife who dreamed for most of her life about being first lady and she had enormous influence over him. Did Nellie have any issues or ideas that she wanted, to, something that she was passionate about? Suffering. And she said, as president, if I were president, I could get this done. Or was it just, I want to be the wife of the president? I just like the White House. I don't know. She loved the White House. And it's a nice house. She did bring, Nellie. And she did bring the cherry blossoms to, to D.C. Oh, well, there. <laughs> For Nelly, I really believe that it was not particular. It was not ideolo- ideological. Uh, she would have opposed prohibition with her entire heart and soul because that woman loved the good stein of beer. <laughs> but I really just think that she was the kind of she would have been the kind of politician that just loved the game. Mm. She loved negotiations. She loved watching. The, she loved you know she loved just watching the interplay and the evolution of politics. She was very much. I'd say she was more of a political animal than she was an ideologue. Hmm. The reason Taft ran again is because Roosevelt was threatening to run again. Yeah. Teddy, Teddy, year, Teddy for, had become steadily more radical. For over a year. Um, in, for, yeah, towards the end of, of the first uh, Taft administration. Mm-hmm. And so Taft was like, well, I 
I guess I have to run again because Roosevelt's getting crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? Because like Roosevelt's Roosevelt... new nationalism was, I'm not going to say basically socialism, but like for the early 20th century, people looked at it and were like, is he a socialist now? Mm-hmm. And and keep in mind, this was an election where uh, in the the 1908 election, there were two different socialist parties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, I believe... I know that... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say what I believe most offended Taft and what he thought. He was just in general opposed to uh, Teddy's new nationalism, but what offended him most was that Teddy was agitating for popular for a popular vote that would overturn judicial decisions. Mm. And as a man who valued judicial independence, Taft was like, Hell no, I'm going to eat that man's breakfast. I don't know why he's talking to a southern accent in this uh, invitation. But he, yeah, the only reason he ran the second time is like you said, Patrick, uh, yeah, he thought Roosevelt was too radical. And that was, I am guessing, or that's what has been portrayed to me, what most offended Taft. Mm -hmm. Roosevelt's attack on the independence of the judiciary. Yeah. Oh, it's always been an issue. Even a Bolshevik, but hey, leave the Supreme Court alone. (laughs) You leave the Supreme Court alone, you Mm -hmm. socialist. But something... Uh, I also also just love that um, Teddy ran on the new nationalism and Wilson ran, when we'll talk about this more, Wilson ran on a platform called the new freedom and Taft was like, I'm Taft. (laughs) (laughs) The old Taft. The old Taft. I don't have anything. What's so interesting to me is that Roosevelt played that game in the lead up to Taft getting the nomination in 1908, right? Like he Mm -hmm. actively used his power and influence to silence anyone who was opposed to Taft winning the nomination um, when senators who did oppose Taft's nomination came and made speeches to say that Roosevelt actually made address like special addresses to Congress uh, so that that would get front page news and not right. Like the opposition (laughs) to Taft. Right. And so like Roosevelt, Roosevelt played that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Teddy was just a sneaky son of a bitch, wasn't he? But I'm just reading that campaign, like Teddy campaigned in 34 states. That was when somebody took a shot at him and the bullet was blocked by his speech and he went on to deliver the speech anyway. Uh, Wilson is campaigning yeah. and Taft at that point finally decides, yeah, I'm out. And he spends the fall campaign golfing. But he still wins two states, Utah and Vermont. Mm -hmm. I feel like Andrew Jackson's ghost was up in heaven going like, man, why didn't more people try to assassinate me? I'm sure there was the will. See, now here's something else that's kind of wild. So in the Electoral College, it's it's crushing. 435 to a combined 96. But as I'm looking at this, if you tabulate the popular vote, Roosevelt, Taft, and uh, Debs again kicked Wilson's ass. Yeah. Wilson actually won fewer votes, fewer popular votes than William Jennings Bryan. Bryan, Bryan. Four years before. It's just that 
the progressive vote was so split. The Republican yes. vote was so split. Yep. Good evening. Good evening. So happy we could all be here tonight. So happy I am here to work with you because I want you to be your best you. Tonight, my story is about how even when it looks like you have everything, even when everyone who loves and cares about you thinks you have everything, you may not in fact be, be your best you. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you the 27th President of the United States, William Howard Taft. Hello, Deborah. Friends, there's probably one thing you know and only one thing you know about President Taft. Hey, Taft, we want to reenact the Battle of San Juan Hill. Can you be the hill? <laughs> Mr. President, did you really have to get a tub built for you so you wouldn't get stuck? <laughs> Yesterday, the president took the streetcar and stood up so three young ladies could sit down. I know, I know. You are a sensitive man who hears every word. Big love, big love, And audience, I hear what you're thinking. But Debbie, you're thinking, that's a tough job being president. It's full of stress and ambitious men will fight their entire lives to get the office. I was never a small man, but I'm 70 pounds heavier today than I was when I succeeded Teddy Roosevelt, who I thought was my friend until he ran against me. What we are all thinking is this, Mr. President. Are you happy? Do you really want this job? Let's talk to your wife, ladies and gentlemen, the First Lady, Nellie Taft. Welcome, Madam First Lady. You heard our discussion backstage, and I... And of course he wants the job. William, honey, you should take care not to have too many snacks before dinner. I suppose. Why do you say he wants the job? Is he doing it particularly well? Well, yes, of course. Why, he's prosecuted more of those evil trusts than Mr. Roosevelt ever did. I had been. Not so much anymore. Oh, and he's been working to get the best people into the cabinet, like that nice interior department secretarial candidate. The one who wants to grow tobacco in the West? I suppose he can have the job. Oh, oh dear. Really? Why not? Is, is there something bothering you? Something bothering him? Do you think... Overeating, ignoring the responsibilities, feeling sorry for himself. If you have even one of those conditions in your brain, you absolutely will never be your best you. Even if you are the president of the United States of America. 
What are you talking about? He is the president of the United States. But is it what he really wanted? Or is it what you really wanted, Mrs. Taft? <gasps> A woman is president? When we don't even have the right to vote? Absurd. It looks like you are not being your best you either. If you're taking what you want and putting it in your husband's head. Nellie, I know you helped me become who I am and I care so much about you and our family is healthy and large. But this office was never where my heart was. And what was that dream? I think you know. Supreme Court Justice William Howard Taft. Perhaps it can still happen, Mr. President. Do you think so, dearest Nellie? Oh, but, but, but you are going to run for re-election. And I will get my ample behind kicked all the way to the Pacific. But that doesn't matter anymore. Mr. Wilson? Um, well... After what that so-called friend Roosevelt did to me, perhaps Mr. Wilson will think of me if a spot on the Supreme Court becomes available. Uh, I, I suppose I should let you do what your heart tells you to do. Aww. And I do need to take a few pounds off. Let's retire to the cherry blossoms. But the Japanese government were so generous, and they do seem to be thriving. If I did nothing else while in office, it was to plant the cherry blossoms, which you should take all the credit for. Generations will enjoy them. Aww. Oh, I bet you shall achieve your dreams, Mr. Taft. I will help you. Let us walk. I may be big, but... I can still walk. In fact, there's a new British game I would like to try. It's called golf. And I'm sure you'll be quite good at it because you can be, be your, your best you. If I may jump ahead. I am happy to report 10 years after Mr. Taft was defeated, he lost that 70 pounds and joined the Supreme Court. In fact, he's the only president who became Chief Justice because in the deepest depths of his despair, even when he achieved what he thought he wanted, he kept his real dreams in his head and never gave up on them. And if William Howard Taft can do it, then you can do it and you can... Be your best you! So, having been relieved of his duty at long last of president, hey. <laughs> he goes away, but he has a dream. And he doesn't let go of that dream. So how does his dream be fulfilled? Yeah, see, at, after losing the election, he, he tried to go back to practicing law, 
but he had appointed so much of the judiciary in the country <laughs> that uh, everyone thought he had a conflict of interest every time he tried to get up and uh, try a case. Sucks. <laughs> Sometimes I feel really bad for Tao. He's really like the Charlie Brown of presidents. Oh, well, yes and no, because I actually is. actually Wilson did appoint him at the National Labor Relations Board, which is what he was doing through most of World War One. So he's kind of back in DC and kind of keeping his keeping his profile up. And so, what is his relationship with um, Harding besides being Ohio? And or is that enough? As yeah, Ohio, enough. and it should be, but. Uh, yeah. I mean, he can't. He campaigned on behalf of Harding and Coolidge, um, probably just because, uh, if nothing else, about Howard Taft is true. He's a he's a party man, and a so very loyal Republican. He yes, he runs. He supports the the Republican ticket. And the, the Democrat running wasn't he the Democratic governor of Ohio? What the hell is it with you Buckeyes? <laughs> This was all before I was born, so I can... Well, see, Paul, the history of Ohio is people trying to get as far away from Ohio as they can. Eh, there's something to be said whether that. that's Whether that's... that's to get to the presidency or to become a majority of the pioneers of aviation and spaceflight. Mm-hmm. Yep. I will never uh, not remind my dad's best friend, who is an Ohioan. Um, I say this almost every time I see him, which is many times. What what is it about Ohio that makes people want to leave the earth? Well, we and, don't leave you know, before we kick Michigan's ass every year. Oh, and, and our audience in Ohio, <laughs> come and fight me. Was he a good chief Supreme Court justice? Hmm. Does he go in the annals, so to speak? I actually don't know. I mean, he he <laughs> they they did a. <clears throat> preside over some child labor law stuff. He wasn't a disastrous one. I think we can say that. And that silence maybe says everything about (laughs) William Howard Taft and his whole career, doesn't it? I mean, mean, it wasn't like the, it wasn't like it was the Warren court where there was so much controversy that had to be decided upon. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that Taft was more like a steady hand. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I would, I guess I would, I would say that he, his devotion to the Constitution makes him like an actually pretty conservative Supreme Court justice. Like his record is pretty conservative. But again, we, we, our, our definition of conservative has changed so drastically. Conservative in the Supreme Court sense, in that it wasn't, you know, not, not Wild like the swears. Federalist Supreme Court, uh, or right. Federalist conservatives. Yeah. yeah, this is a this is not a bright spot on his record. He wrote the decision for Lum versus Rice, which held that the exclusion of a Chinese student from a public school did not violate the Fourteenth and Fourteenth uh, Amendment. In other uh, words. I don't know if it was specifically because, I mean, I'm not reading the entire decision, but uh, segregation is constitutional. Okay. We're about at the end because really, what else, again, what else is there to say? William he Howard Taft. end on a happy note after that. <laughs> he achieved his dream and didn't do much with it.
Well, Chelsea said, I can't wait to talk about Wilson. Guess what, listeners? You won't either, because it's the next episode. DB Comedy presents The Electables. This episode's sketches were written and produced by Gina Bucola, Sandy Baikowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Joay, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, and Tommy Spears. This episode's sketches were performed by Gina Bacola, Sandy Baikowski, Joseph Fedorko, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley, Tommy Spears, and Louise Thomas. Original music written and performed by Throop McClurg. Audio production by Joseph Fedorko. Sound effects procured at freesound.org. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.org. Donations are tax-deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the Electables, visit DB Comedy's host page on Simplecast.com. Follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy or Democracy Burlesque, and join us on the Trident Network. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to like.